Aristea Goes Everywhere, Episode 9, Ozal Castle Every night when Aristea went to bed, her mother, or her grandmother, or her auntie would tell her stories of places and people all over the world. And every night, Aristea would dream of great people and breathtaking places. In the morning when she awoke, Aristea would continue to think about the stories and her dreams. Aristea was sure she was a princess, because princesses sometimes have to be responsible under very scary and difficult circumstances, like Queen Maria Lascarina, who had her baby at Cleese Fortress during the Mongol invasion, or like Jovanka, the First Lady of Yugoslavia, who volunteered as a partizanka and was wounded during World War II. Aristea wasn't ready to grow up and be responsible for such decisions yet, but she wanted to be ready to make them when she was older. Aristea was determined to be the best possible princess she could be, even though it meant that she would have to do very hard things. This was one of the reasons she loved hearing stories about the great princesses of the past and how they approached difficulties and success. Aristea was very lucky because her mother Antonella had a very large family and a lot of very good friends who loved to tell Aristea's stories of princesses and places where amazing things happened in history. Sometimes Aristea's Auntie Anita would tease her about being a gossip, but then Auntie Anita would hug her and remind her that she enjoyed hearing stories about everyone as well. Really, History is just gossip about things that happened a long time ago, Aristea decided. Aristea and Antonella had been visiting family and friends in split Croatia and having a wonderful time visiting the beautiful beaches and historic sites. But it was soon time to go to Zagreb. Oh, that's a great idea, Miss Ruthie said. You know, I need to visit the museum at Ozali Castle for research. It's right on the way, near Karlovats. How about we all drive together? Everyone eagerly agreed, and the next morning they started out very early so that they would not have so much traffic along the way. Miss Ruthie, Aristea asked, do you have any stories about princesses where we are going? Miss Ruthie nodded. I definitely do, but first I need to apologize for something. The castle we are visiting is very important in history, but although I've tried many times, my accent just does not allow me to pronounce the name correctly. This is something that happens a lot when we travel to places where we didn't learn the language as a child. We're going to Ozali Castle, which is how we say it with an American accent. But if you're going to practice saying the name in Croatian, you should practice with your mom or Auntie Anita. Antonella broke in. Not everyone is so lucky as to have so many languages as you, Aristea. You learn Croatian from me, Italian from your father, English from both of us. It's very lucky to be able to speak to so many people in their own language. I'm glad I can understand them all, Aristea said. I can hear so many more stories this way. It's all about the gossip. Auntie Anita said, 
and everyone laughed. For this story, said Miss Ruthie, we're going to go back all the way to the 1600s. At that time, this area was known as the Croatian Military Frontier because it was the part of the Austrian Empire that bordered the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans were always trying to go further and further into Europe and conquer more and more countries, and the military frontier was the way that Central Europe tried to hold them back. People could live here and practice any religion, unlike many other places where the state told you what religion to practice. And they had free land. But in exchange for this, they had to fight the Ottomans whenever it was needed to protect the rest of Austria. What a terrible idea to tell people they had to be a specific religion, Aristeas said. It sounds like bullying. It was very common in the past, Antionidas said. And even today, there are many countries that have official religions and make it very difficult for anyone who isn't the official religion. That's true, Miss Ruthie said. But remember, this was about 400 years ago, so we can't use today's rules to understand things from the past. Anyway, on the Croatian military frontier, the Austrian Habsburg Empire officially gave settlers freedom of religion. Aristea nodded. She didn't like the old rule, but she knew she couldn't change it. Miss Ruthie continued. There were two very important main families living on the Croatian military frontier, the Frankopan family and the Zrinski family. And it just so happened that a Frankopan daughter named Katarina married a Zrinsky named Peter, and this changed everything for the future of Croatia. Katarina was a very smart girl and grew into a beautiful and brilliant woman. She was like you because she spoke several languages, Croatian, German, Hungarian, Latin, and Italian. And she didn't just speak those languages a little. She was called upon to translate the languages for others sometimes, and she wrote beautiful poetry in all of them. In fact, Katarina was the first Croatian woman to publish a book that she wrote herself. It was called Putni Tuvaros, and she published it in Venice in 1661. It was so popular that it was reprinted even after her death. Aristea sat up at the mention of Katarina dying. Miss Ruthie, how much of a tragedy is this story going to be? She asked. She wanted to make sure that she was fully prepared. She might need to have extra tissues on hand and maybe some water. Unfortunately, it ends as a very tragic tragedy, Miss Ruthie said, but it starts out beautifully. Aristea wasn't quite sure what to make about that but asked her mother for some extra tissues just in case. The Frankopanzrinski court, which was often at Ozli, became very famous for featuring art, literature, and culture, and Katarina was well known for supporting all of these things. She also took care of the estates while her husband Peter was off fighting for the Austrian Habsburgs and was considered to be a very good administrator. She even wrote two documents which outlined the rights and responsibilities of the people who lived on the Zrinsky estates. 
showing she had a very strong legal mind as well. And she did all of this while being a very involved mother to four children. Look how busy I am with just one child, Antonella told Aristea. Aristea patted her mother's hand. Maybe it's just that I'm a very intense child, Aristea told her. She wasn't exactly sure what being an intense child meant, but her teacher had said that about her once when Aristea was upset about an injustice on the playground, and she thought it sounded like something that made her interesting. We're an intense family, Auntie Anita said. It keeps everything interesting. I think Katerina herself was probably also very intense, or she wouldn't have been able to accomplish so much. I agree, Miss Ruthie said. Intense times need intense people to get through them, and the 1600s on the military frontier were very intense times, particularly when Katerina's husband Peter, her brother Frank Rstofrenkopan, and several other Croatian and Hungarian nobles felt abandoned by the Habsburg Emperor when he refused to get any of their land back from the Ottomans. Oh no, said Aristea, who could sense that the story was rapidly moving toward its final tragedy. The nobles had had enough. They had fought and lost family members. They felt that they were spending their blood to protect the Habsburgs, who didn't appreciate them at all. They decided to rebel. And although women of that time tended to have much less power than women do today, Katarina was in the center of the preparations for what would become known as the Magnet Conspiracy. Because Katarina was so smart, spoke so many languages, and was so very good at talking to people, it was she who approached foreign embassies and nations trying to search out support for the noble families on the front lines of the Ottoman battles. She talked to the French, to the Republic of Venice, and even to the Polish court. Katarina used all of the skills she had to try and find allies. But no one wanted to go against the powerful Habsburg Empire. In the end, the nobles even approached the Ottomans themselves in an attempt to get away from what they saw as the betrayal of the ruling Habsburgs. Okay, Aristea broke in. That doesn't make any sense. They wanted support against the Ottomans, so they asked the Ottomans for help? It's probably not helpful to look for things that make sense when it comes to politics, Antonella said. You'll be very disappointed very often if you do. Auntie Anita nodded in agreement. Especially in the Balkans, she said. We don't even want to start with that, Antonella exclaimed, and she motioned for Miss Ruthie to continue the story. The Ottoman Sultan informed the Habsburg Emperor Leopold about the growing conspiracy, and eventually Leopold decided to take action. He promised Katarina's husband Peter and brother Frank Kursto that if they came to Vienna and begged, they would be forgiven. Peter and Frank Kursto believed the emperor's promises, but those promises were all lies. The two were arrested and taken to a trial where they were both sentenced to death by beheading. Aristea hid her eyes. 
She knew that this was where the tragedy would begin. It was never a good sign when emperors decided to start beheading people. And this, Miss Ruthie said, is how we know that Katerina and Peter's marriage was one that was based on a deep love and respect, because the night before he was executed, Peter Zrinsky wrote Katerina a beautiful love letter. The letter wasn't terribly long, but it showed very well how much he loved, valued, and respected his wife. Aristea sniffed back tears. The story was indeed turning out to be a tragedy, but it was beautiful as well. She thought that love was always beautiful. Did Peter manage to escape? She asked hopefully. Miss Ruthie is telling you a true story, unfortunately, and not the movie fairy tale version, said Antonella. Peter and Francesco did not escape. Aristea gave a sad sigh. But Katerina was not in Vienna with them, she said hopefully. Auntie Anita shook her head. No, but the Habsburgs had a very long reach and a lot of power. Men were sent to arrest Katerina and her youngest daughter, Aurora Veronica, and they were taken to a convent in Graz. A convent is better than beheading, Aristea said, a little relieved. It definitely can be, Miss Ruthie said, but in this case, losing her beloved husband and having everything seized and taken away from her family was too much for Katerina. Before three years were up, she died. Her daughter, Aurora Veronica, although still a child, was kept in a convent for the rest of her life. It definitely ended a tragedy, said Aristea. Should we talk about Katerina's other children? Miss Ruthie asked. Is that also tragic? Aristea responded. She was hoping there would be something hopeful to end with. Unfortunately, there was even more tragedy there. Although there was great bravery as well, Miss Ruthie said. I think we should end here, Aristea said firmly. I'm almost out of tissues, so more tragedy would be a very bad idea. It's a good place to end anyway, said Antonella. Here we are at Ozali Castle. Aristea was thrilled. The castle where the Zrinskis and Frankopans had planned their rebellion was a fantastic thing to see. Beautifully restored, it could have been something out of a fairy tale. There was a bridge that led to an ancient-looking gate and walls that looked like they could protect the fortress from nearly anything. The grounds inside were beautifully kept, and Aristea just wanted to run and jump on the large lawn overlooking the church tower. The castle definitely felt like there was magic in it. Aristea followed the women into the museum area of the castle, and was very excited to see a dress that was modeled on the clothing that Katerina herself would have worn. She begged her mother to take several photos with the outfit. Katerina's books were also on display, and Aristea tried very hard to read them, but she was just a little too short to see that high on the display shelf. Oh, I wish I could stay here, Aristea said. Their museum guide thought that was quite funny. A lot of people say that, he said, but it gets very, very cold in the winter. And we have indoor plumbing now, 
but that wasn't the case when Katarina lived here. Although, we do have one thing from her time that you might find interesting. He led them back outside and pointed out what looked like a little shack attached to the top of the castle wall. What do you think that is? he asked. Auntie Anita knew right away. That, she said, is a toilet. A toilet hanging off a wall? Aristea was astounded. That doesn't seem safe at all. It's especially not safe if you happen to be walking underneath it at the wrong time, Antonella said, and everyone laughed very hard. Aristea was not ready to leave Ozali Castle when it was time to go, but she didn't make too much fuss. She had a lot to think about in the car on the rest of their drive to Zagreb, and a lot of pictures to remember her visit with. She was glad to be a princess in a time and place where she could choose her own life, instead of the one that the emperor told her she had to live, and especially glad that her house had toilets that flushed, instead of everything falling to the ground outside, which seemed like it would be quite stinky. But she was also glad that princesses like Katarina Zrinsky had done such incredible things in history, even though they ended tragically. Katarina, who was so smart and spoke so many languages and wrote books and loved her husband so very much, was definitely an example Aristea would try to follow but hopefully without the tragedy at the end. <laughs>